The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. What if the cure for a lifetime of PTSD is really just a party drug from the 1980s? Welcome to Prognosis, a podcast about health, medical technology, and the mind-blowing innovation now underway in some of the least expected places. I'm your host, Michelle Faye Cortez. Today we're taking a look at where illegal drugs meet cutting-edge therapy. Psychedelic drugs weren't always taboo. In the 50s and 60s, the medical world was actually really excited about them. Researchers studied LSD and psilocybin, or magic mushrooms, as a way to treat conditions like depression and even addiction. Before 1965, more than a thousand studies involving psychedelics were published. Many people thought they were breakthroughs, providing the first hope for treating mental health conditions when little else worked. But then psychedelics became the drug of choice for the counterculture, and the government cracked down. In 1970, Congress passed the Controlled Substances Act, criminalizing the use of psychedelic drugs. And all that scientific research into their therapeutic potential, it ground to a halt. In recent years, the rules have relaxed a little. Both the Food and Drug Administration and the Drug Enforcement Agency are again allowing researchers to conduct studies on psychedelic drugs as therapies. Some have been really promising, but they don't come cheap. So how do you bankroll a psychedelics revolution? A revolution that brings to mind stoners in tie-dye more than patients in hospital gowns. One man thinks he knows. Here are Bloomberg's Kristen Brown and Sarah McBride to take you on a trip. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I were cruising across the Nevada desert in a rented van on our way to Burning Man. We weren't headed there on vacation. We were giving a ride to Rick Doblin. He's the CEO of a nonprofit called the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Most people just call it MAPS. And Burning Man, of course, is the annual party in the Nevada desert. Thousands of people show up at this Dust Bowl each year to parade around in crazy costumes, dance, enjoy the art, and yes, do drugs. But the party scene wasn't the only thing bringing Rick to Burning Man. Rick is a man on a mission to legalize some of those drugs as medicines. But So, so your yeah. goal is eventually not just medicalization, but legalization. Well, it's legalization of psychedelics in general right. and mainstreaming of the opportunity for people to have healing experiences, spiritual experiences. Right, under medical or Not necessarily. Not necessarily, okay. Under medical supervision, under religious supervision, but also a fundamental human right to explore your own consciousness. Rick is a champion for the healing powers of drugs broadly known as psychedelics. That includes LSD, mushrooms, and, depending on who you talk to, 
MDMA, also known as ecstasy. Like Michelle mentioned, those drugs are all illegal. Rick is hoping that with persuasive enough scientific research, that will change. But nothing will change unless studies show those drugs hold healing power. And paying for those studies takes serious bank. That is what brings Rick to Burning Man. People often describe Rick as this sort of cheerleader for psychedelics. He was in full schmooze mode even before we arrived at the Burning Man gates. Everyone knows him. On the way, we stopped at a rest stop and bumped into lots of people who wanted to catch up. That was Flor Bellini, a spiritual advisor to entrepreneurs. When we run into her, she is a hot tip for Rick. She wants to introduce him to some people who might have money for maps. She throws out names like Guy La Liberté, who co-founded Cirque du Soleil, and Garrett Camp, Uber's co-founder. She and Rick agreed to try to reconnect when they got to the playa. That's what the regulars like to call Burning Man. But first, we have to get in. I often ask people who have never been to Burning Man to roll around in the dirt. Uh, let's not tell them we've never been then, because yeah. I don't when want When they to ask us, we'll just let you talk. Yeah, I see someone rolling around in the dirt right now. I yeah. Why no. do they? Why no. is it like a hazing thing? Yeah, sort of. I'm not. Yes, I refuse. A few minutes later, I had changed my tune. Yeah. How many burns? Uh, actually, this is my first. Are you going to make me roll around in the dirt? Hey, you know, it's all you voluntary. You know. Okay, I'll get out. All right, Mr. Car and Park, let's do it. I'm just going to do it. Wow. That was me coming to grips with my new Burning Man milieu. That's something Rick is pretty good at. He just adapts to whatever environment he's in. And it makes him a great fundraiser. Perfect because mainstreaming psychedelics is massively pricey. Rick's biggest challenge right now is getting the green light from the Food and Drug Administration. He's just kicked off the final stage of that approval process, what's known as phase three clinical trials. That means hundreds of people are testing a drug under close medical supervision. Rick chose his focus carefully, people with post-traumatic stress disorder, like veterans. So 100 people with PTSD will get treated with either MDMA or placebo, and doctors will monitor their progress closely. Those phase three tests alone cost $26 million. And a nonprofit bringing a drug to market is rare. The only other one was RU486, an abortion drug approved in 2000. It was also controversial. That brings us back to why Rick is something of a folk hero in certain circles, especially among people who hope psychedelics will one day win wide acceptance, and not just for PTSD treatment. And if you need money for something controversial, where better to look for it than at Burning Man? Burning Man has become a beacon for rich technorati. After all, tickets alone cost as much as $1,200. Rick was already a longtime burner when he saw the potential. Wealthy tech people were coming. More and more people were coming from tech from the Bay Area. Um, it was a great opportunity to hang out and talk to people. So Rick doesn't hit people up for cash right at Burning Man. 
He gets to know them, and when it's all over, then he asks them to donate to MAPS, his nonprofit. Many of his big donors are people he's met at Burning Man, or they're connected to people he's met there. The festival has become such an important place to cultivate donors, he lists it in the MAPS annual report. His entire board of directors goes to Burning Man. That's six out of six. One guy on his board, David Bronner, runs the soap company, Dr. Bronner's. David also hosts a camp at Burning Man and sets aside an air-conditioned crash pad there for Rick. Not that Rick sleeps much at Burning Man. He's much too busy schmoozing. Rick has some pretty surprising donors. Richard Rockefeller, a great-grandson of the famous oil baron, gave him money. Joby Pritzker, from the Chicago family behind Hyatt Hotels, sits on his board. Rebecca Mercer, the Trump megabacker, gave Maps a million dollars earlier this year. And a chunk of Rick's cash even comes from an heir to the precious moments figurines. You know, those little porcelain tchotchkes. But more and more, he wants to tap into the set of young millionaires and billionaires that Silicon Valley is minting. Sometimes that calls for discretion. I asked him if there was anyone in particular on his ongoing wish list, anyone he's trying to bring on board to donate to MAPS. Are there yeah. some that you have your eye on that you think, you know, you, if you just cultivate them a little bit more, perhaps they'll support MAPS financially? Yeah, yeah there are some. And... Um, would we know some of their names? Um, you would. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't think mentioning them will help. Burning Man doesn't deliver just on the money front. Rick gets to know a lot of people on the research side, too. Tons of scientists head to Burning Man. One afternoon, I went to a talk on the neuroscience of psychedelics. It was given by a researcher at the University of California, Berkeley, and it was packed. Rick taps into that Burning Man community to help a lot of movers and shakers in the field connect with each other. For example, one night we were riding across the playa on a two-story tall brass dragon art car. That's when Rick finally got the chance to introduce two key players in the movement, the Dutch military's head psychiatrist and a doctor from Arizona. Oh, good. There he is right there. Terrific. Yeah. Eric, great. I was great. I felt that I needed to say hi. You well, I was just talking about you. Oh, thank you. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> to be clear, that's a high-ranking doctor from the Dutch government on a work trip to Burning Man. The night before, he told us he'd gotten stranded on the far end of the playa and watched the sun rise. When he wasn't riding around on the art car, Rick was biking around looking for bigwigs who could help his cause. He never quite reconnected with his friend Floor, the one who promised introductions to the Cirque du Soleil founder and the Uber co-founder. We know because we spent a whole night biking around the playa with Rick looking for them. He struck out at one party where he was hoping to run into Sergey Brin, the Google co-founder. He wasn't there. Instead, Rick got to talk with Grover Norquist, the anti-tax crusader, for around 20 minutes. He also hobnobbed with Darren Aronofsky, the director of the movie Black Swan. Rick's strategy is to kind of just go with the flow and hope that the chaos of Burning Man delivers him to someone with deep pockets and an interest in psychedelic drugs. This particular year, you know, I don't have a list of people that I know where they're camping and I want to go see them. So that's how so, you've approached it in the past? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'd have that set up. This year I don't. So this year is more like serendipity. 
We thought he'd be upset by all the missed connections, but Rick always focuses on the positive, even when he just missed the co-founder of Cirque du Soleil by a few minutes. He says it's fate. He'll have another opportunity for that introduction. Instead, he relishes the small victories, like getting part of his organization listed on a flyer each visitor receives when they arrive at Burning Man. Oh my God, look, look, look. What? They did it. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That is so great. Oh, wonderful. This is great. That was just after we'd rolled into Burning Man. The flyer mentioned the Zendo Project, a part of maps that helps people on bad trips at festivals. It was listed up high on the flyer, above the fold. This is about the information. This is so good. This is the kind of thing that you're going to want to keep with you. The guy's enthusiastic, 100% in. That came through the first time we met Rick at a conference in San Francisco. He asked us if we minded doing our interview while he picked up a little weed. Rick lives in Massachusetts, where apparently the selection just isn't as good. He asked the saleswoman at the dispensary for the pottiest pot. And then he showed us how he planned to sneak his $229 worth of lemon tie past airport security when he flew back east later that night. Really, Rick's entire adult life has been intertwined with the legal status of psychedelic drugs. Well, the first time that I ever tried psychedelics was at college. And it was in my freshman year of college. And it was LSD. And I was um, profoundly impacted by the sort of flow of thoughts and feelings. This was in the early 1970s. MDMA wasn't yet part of the college drug scene, but LSD and mushrooms were. By the 1980s, MDMA became more popular. Rick was thinking he wanted to become a therapist and use MDMA to heal people. But then, in 1985, MDMA became illegal too. So Rick, who was 30 but still working on his undergrad degree, sued the government. He lost, but found his lifelong calling. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Rick realized that bringing MDMA back was going to be a political battle. So years after starting MAPS, he ended up getting a PhD from Harvard in public policy, not psychology. He toiled in obscurity for decades, but finally, his cause has gained traction. Lots of scientists are studying MDMA and PTSD. Some of them get funding for MAPS. 
In one especially compelling study published this year, 26 veterans and first responders with PTSD got therapy along with MDMA. After just two sessions, they no longer met the medical definition of PTSD. So we think 2021 is when it'll become MDMA-assisted psychotherapy will be a legal treatment available by prescription. So that's roughly uh, three years from now. But that's not just Rick's opinion. Here is Gould Dolan, a neuroscientist at Johns Hopkins University who studies psychedelic drugs. The, the clinical trials of MDMA for PTSD are remarkable, and those responses are like nothing we've ever seen before, right? I mean, SSRIs don't work that well. Therapy doesn't work that well. You know, no neuropsychiatric drug basically has, those, has had those kinds of responses. Gould's most recent study was kind of amazing, and it grabbed a nice big headline in the New York Times. Her researchers gave MDMA to octopuses, which are usually really kind of loners. And octopuses basically started hugging each other. Or, as Gould put it, They definitely become more prosocial on MDMA. A lot of Gould's research, like the octopus study, focuses on figuring out how psychedelics work. There's a lot we don't know. But it seems that the real power of the drugs is putting people in a state of mind where they're more receptive to things like suggestion or empathy. In a sense, what the drugs really do is help people heal themselves. That's one of the things that makes them tricky drugs for pharmaceutical companies to pursue. Most of the research surrounding psychedelics involves using them to make typical talk therapy more effective rather than using them on their own. Not to mention that in studies, the drugs seem to do their job after only a few doses, rather than a potential lifetime income stream of a prescription pill. And patents have expired on MDMA, so it wouldn't really make them much money anyway. But researchers are still making incredible discoveries. Johns Hopkins is a major hub of psychedelic research. Back in 2014, they did a small pilot study of smokers. After going through one psychedelic session, a whopping 80% of the volunteers had kicked their habit six months later. After a year, 67% were still non-smokers. And it could also help alcoholics. When Ghoul was in medical school, she spent some time studying why AA meetings are effective. Her research has suggested psychedelics might make them work even better. You know, I think you could make a case that if you gave MDMA at, um, you know, one of these these Alcoholics Anonymous meetings instead of coffee and cigarettes, that, you know, the efficacy of those interventions might be bigger. The space has really grown in recent years. Another nonprofit, the USONA Institute, will soon sponsor its own trials for psilocybin. And there is at least one corporate venture in the space, Compass Pathways. They're planning their own phase three trials in Europe and North America for treatment-resistant depression. Gould thinks that funders and regulators are becoming more open-minded to a future of psychedelic medicines because so many of the medicines that we have today aren't really working. I mean, I can imagine all kinds of scenarios that you might want to use this. From Rick's point of view, PTSD is the best scenario for winning the approval of regulators and the public, too. Both of the drugs approved to treat it, Paxil and Zoloft, are considered pretty ineffective. But studies show that MDMA is very effective. Once MAPS paves the way for MDMA as medicine, 
Rick thinks it'll be easier to legalize psychedelics all out. The PTSD trials will take at least three years, but access could come even sooner under what's known as compassionate use programs in which patients can gain access to experimental therapies before trials are complete. Therapists we talked to said the results can be really amazing. One therapist who worked on MAP's earlier trials said the MDMA helped heal a woman with PTSD who had previously gone to more than 1,500 therapy sessions. For now, people sometimes seek out treatment outside mainstream medicine among a network of underground psychedelic therapists. Some of that even goes on at Burning Man. Rick spent much of his last few days there counseling a veteran suffering from PTSD. Rick could tell the man needed help. It was somebody that seemed on the verge of uh, you know massive mental breakdown, was, was in a, a massive mental breakdown when we met, crying and talking about how there was no point. Nothing else had worked, PTSD for decades. You know, it was just such a, a powerful appeal for help. And the fact that it was both a veteran and a retired police officer, the same person who had been a veteran and also a police officer now is retired, it just made me think that this is the ideal kind of person we're trying to show. If we're trying to mainstream psychedelics, you know, what's more mainstream than a veteran and a police officer? Along with the counseling, Rick treated the vet with MDMA. This wasn't the full treatment that MAPS is undertaking in its phase three trials. The phase three treatments are hours of therapy with three MDMA sessions one month apart. But Rick gave the vet a flavor of it. It was very inspiring because there was a point where this person was able to breathe more fully than in many, many years. It, it, it started a process that I think provided hope. You know, it's not, again, a one-dose miracle cure, but to see someone start in a puddle of tears and feeling like all the options had been exhausted and there was no reason to live anymore, to having um, hope and interest in in other um, therapy sessions was profoundly inspiring. And also the fact that it was someone who'd been a police officer for 15 years and before that a veteran in, in the Navy for a very long time. Rick says the vet is doing better and looking into getting more therapy. In one sense, legalizing MDMA, for medical use or otherwise, would just be a recognition of something that is already true. Medicine isn't something that just treats illness. I think it's very difficult to figure out which uses count as medical and which uses don't. Uh, And it's become more and more difficult uh, as medicine itself has become more consumer-oriented. That's Matt Lampkin, a law professor at the University of Tulsa. Lamkin points out that while the approval and regulation of a drug often hinges on it having medical purpose, we also prescribe a lot of drugs to people without any medical condition at all. So what do we mean by a medical use? Um, It's intuitively appealing to think, well, what we mean is treating some kind of illness. But if you take just a second to think about it, medicine does lots and lots of things besides just treating illnesses and always has right? Uh, Contraception, abortion, these are medical interventions that are usually not provided to treat any illness. Lamkin can also see a future not too far away where MDMA is illegal medicine. A lot of things that seemed unlikely to me uh, a while ago with respect to drug policy um, 
I mean, I never imagined that we would be where we are today in terms of uh, marijuana across the states. It was sort of inconceivable 20 years ago. The FDA does have a track record of following the science wherever it goes. That means that MDMA could soon be widely prescribed. One thing that could easily get in the way of that, though, is money to keep pushing the science forward. Rick knows he has an uphill battle ahead. But for him, that's no obstacle. I've had to really learn how to be happy with trying rather than succeeding. And that's it for this week's prognosis. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. You can email me at mcortez at bloomberg.net or find me on Twitter at Cortez. If you were a fan of this episode, please take a minute to rate and review us. It helps new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Lindsay Cradowell. The story editor was Mark Schofit. Thanks also to Drew Armstrong and Liz Smith. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.